This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday and welcome to the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up on the show today, Henry Cavill. The Witcher star is talking leather pants, wigs, and Superman. And then later, glow star Betty Gilpin. She's talking hot three-way scenes, making movies, and playing Ann Coulter. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. You may know Henry Cavill as Superman, but have you seen him in The Witcher, the Netflix adaptation of the fantasy book series of the same name? I caught up with Cavill from his home in London just a few days before Netflix announced season two of The Witcher was going back into production. Hello, sir. How are you? I am very, very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. How's your quarantine going? Have you been, have you left the house? Can you leave the house now at this point? What are your city's regulations? Um, the lockdown regulations here are starting to ease up a little bit. I think we've just announced that what we call non-essential shops can open, but Mm. restaurants and bars and pubs are not yet open, um, which in the UK is very, very sad. (laughs) They started opening restaurants here. I don't feel comfortable yet. I'm not going to do it. They just started opening gyms today. And my gym sent me an email saying, you don't have to wear a face mask at the gym. And I'm like, that sound right to me. So I think I'll, I'm not going to be the guinea pig. Not everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick to my home workouts. <laughs> yeah. So The Witcher. Yes. So what did you, okay, I'll admit until, you know, I saw that you were in it um, and a Netflix announcement, I didn't know what The Witcher was. So what did you know about The Witcher? From what I understand, you've been a fan. Tell me all about that. Uh, yes, I've been a fan for quite a few years before it was announced because of the video games. I'm, I'm a big PC gamer, and I had played the game multiple times. And then I always, while playing it, I imagined what it'd be like to make a movie or a TV show. And the, the CD Projekt Red, have, who are the developers of the game, have done such a fantastic job of creating a world, which is stunningly beautiful, that it was it was always a challenge to try and imagine where these places, where I could find these places in the real world. And uh, then the opportunity popped up. I heard about it going to Netflix, and I got my agents to hunt it down. Um, and, and then I heard about the books, and so I read all the books, and I fell in love with the books uh, just as much, if not more so, than the games, because... 
Sapkowski is an extraordinary writer, and he has done an absolutely amazing job with with building a world and creating extraordinary characters. What what is it about this world? What is it about these characters that resonate with you? There's I'm a big fan of fantasy. I love the fantasy genre. I've been reading it since I was a kid. Um, my dad was reading it to me before I could read, and I that this is just slightly different from your average fantasy genre. There's something a bit more grim about it. And I've been told that's the Polish way. And so it's, it's a heavy Polish influence. Um, and there's, it's just a harder edge, which I found kind of fascinating. And the characters aren't, aren't necessarily in the same way that game of Thrones was you, you weren't, you didn't know who was going to die. In The Witcher, you can't anticipate what's going to happen because it is quite a grim world. So do you like being in a grim world like that? I mean, for sure, you don't smile much in the series, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no, Geralt doesn't smile much, uh, not, not in the show. And, and when he does, even in the books, it's, um, it's called a hideous smile. And, uh, and um, yeah, it's not the world... I mean, I say grim, there is a real grimness to it, but there are moments of light and moments of care and loving and strong familial bonds for people who aren't actually family. Mm. And those moments seem all the brighter for, for the, the seeming darkness in the world surrounding. So let's go back to this hideous smile. Like, did you think they were going to come to you with like these really bad dentures or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... And this, this, this has been um, up for much discussion online, uh, especially after I got cast. There's a lot of people saying, it says he's hideous or it says it, it's, it's an ugly smile. I, I don't know what the direct translation is from Polish, but uh, it's, it's one of those things where I always saw it, not necessarily as the person being hideous, but as the intent with the smile or the, uh, what the smile was. There was something that the smile was trying to achieve that, it, it struck horror or, or made someone feel a certain way. And so that was, that was the kind of thing which I was expecting to play around with. And I, I, I would have hoped they wouldn't have just given me a, a big set of dentures and stuff. That may have been a bit more distracting than a wig and, and contact lenses. Well, that's my next question. The wig, the long wig. Yes. Comfortable, uncomfortable. Um, I imagine it's not so comfortable because it just gets hot and it's just, it's a wig. Um, it's honestly wasn't that bad. Jackie Rathor, who is my hairdresser, he was. Um, I've worked on a couple of jobs now, and I'm now working on season two with as well. Uh, she is absolutely fantastic, and uh, the wig, which she didn't have the opportunity to actually build the wig herself, or and so when she received it, she started doing work on it, and she worked and worked and worked it, and it was um, a, quite a difficult process. She took that home every night and there was three of them. So she would take three of them home every night and be changing individual hairs. Um, she set them back to get lace changed for a finer lace. Um, so it was less visible. And she just worked and worked and worked that thing. She was having nightmares about the wigs. And, and um, I am enormously appreciative for her hard work because there are points where it's uncomfortable. The the, okay, the only point that's uncomfortable really is when you're first putting it on. And it was almost a joke between Jackie and I that she was deliberately stabbing me in the head and pretending that she wasn't doing it deliberately with the pins. 
Um, at least I hope it was a joke. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was after that, it's on though. Once it's on, it's on and it's just there. And um, the only thing which is uncomfortable is when people laugh at you for, for brushing your hair back like a boy because it's not real hair, so it doesn't feel normal. So you just kind of have to brush it with a, a gloved hand and it looks a little silly, but, but uh, that's the only thing. What was it like seeing yourself as Geralt for the first time in the faux regalia? It was, well, let me tell you this. The, the whole thing shifted a lot because we had screen tests and the look of the character evolved throughout the first season as uh, Jackie Rathor and Avila Mass, who does my makeup, were working incredibly hard on, on the actual, my, my face and face makeup, the eye make, the eye contacts, eye contacts? Contacts, uh, the wig. <laughs> and then the costume as, it, as we aged it, as it was more worn, as we went through a couple of iterations of trousers to begin with, because they initially had me in, in leather trousers. And these leather trousers, I mean, I'm, I'm designed in a certain way that things are forced into a stretched position. And so once that happens, the leather just didn't go back to how it, its, its natural shape. And so it, it ended up being a little bit, um, saggy in places, which was not a great hero attractive look. And so eventually the costume evolved. The costume evolved, uh, the wig evolved, the makeup evolved. And once it was, once we had it nailed, once it was down pat, the experience in the morning, the two hours of hair and makeup and getting into costume was transformative. It was uh, something which by the time I was out of hair and makeup, I was my body language had changed. I was uh, moving differently. I was uh, talking differently, obviously, um, but not not just the the voice which Geralt has, but the intonation changed, and my my interaction with my dog even changed. Uh, he still saw me one hundred percent as as me. Um, he didn't freak out at all or anything, but it just the way I started interacting with the world changed a lot, and so it was. I liked it. I really liked it. So once I, once I saw myself in, in the full rig, it was a transformative experience. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Let's talk about finding that voice, that very yes. distinct voice that goes with the hideous smile. Um, <laughs> tell me about how the same with hair and makeup, you have to find a particular voice. So were you trying different voices? Were you recording on the phone and sending it to you know producers, directors saying, hey, is this the right way to do it? How did you find, because it just matches so well. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Uh, when I first, um, well, actually when I auditioned for Lauren after I'd first met her months before, auditioned for Lauren and Alec, who was the director um, of episodes um, or the first block. And, uh, I asked if I should, I said, I had this, this idea in my head, which was in a way similar to what I'd heard in the games and Doug Cockle's performance, but I didn't want it to be identical. I didn't want to just take that performance and copy it. Uh, I also wanted it to be an English accent rather than American and, and more of a, 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 a gravel rather than a whisper, which is in the games. And so I asked and I was initially said, told no, they said, no, we don't need doing a voice. Just, Lauren said, just do your own voice. And I said, okay. 
And so we started shooting with that and it, it didn't quite feel right to me. Something didn't quite sit right. I wasn't too sure what it was. And so eventually, uh, almost accidentally, and I really mean this accidentally, it started coming out in a scene. And I finished the scene, and I was like, I really like that scene. It felt really good. And I realized afterwards when I was at home and I was I started watching the um, the rushes on on picks, and I thought, oh no, I did a voice. I did a voice for that whole scene. And so I then went into Alec and Lauren and I said, look, guys, I've I've done this thing. Uh, I know we've shot some stuff already without it, but I really like it, and I think it really brings something. And and they said, you know what? Yep, yeah, okay, let's let's go with it. And then we we fixed some of the lines um, in ADR after that. Let's talk about the stunt work. Obviously, you've done stunt work before. That's not something new to you. Um, but this again, you're in you know this full uh, gear and these swords and I don't even know what they're called. These knives and swords. Yeah, it's just it's a whole other level. What kind of yeah. training do you do? Um, and then, you know, how much are you doing on your own? Um, and how much are you getting hurt? I imagine, I know these things are choreographed. I know you're not supposed to get hurt, but I imagine you went home a few nights and you're like, you know what? I need, like... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was, obviously, uh, for the, the physical aspect of the character, um, I was working with Dave Rienzi, my trainer, um, for both the, the aesthetic and what was required of me for stunts. And so it was a very grueling training, training regime when you add it to a TV schedule. TV schedule was hard enough as it is, and then you add an hour and a half of training every day, and it becomes a thing where you are chasing sleep for six days a week, and then Sunday is just a complete write-off because you're in bits, and then Monday you're up at three in the morning again, and, and you're just going, going, going. And so it was, we did some sort sword training with Vladimir Ferdik and I'd done some swords before, uh, but he got me back into my stride. And then they started doing a lot of the choreographing to one side and I was uh, working, I was shooting. And so because I was shooting so much and I, I mean, I was in almost every day, there was, there was no opportunity for me to actually learn these fights. And so they would send me a video and I would try and learn the fight um, through this video and then ultimately end up having to learn it either the morning of, during the rehearsals or the night before and then going in and going, right, okay, let's do it. The difference between that and the episode one fight was that there was a bit more time to prepare for that one. Uh, Wolfgang Stegemann came in, who's part of Eastwood Action Stunts and he brought a specialized team in and we worked together. Wolfgang and I have worked together before and we, we speak each other's language. And so he knew exactly what I wanted to do with the scene. Um, I knew exactly what, what he was capable of and he knew that he could push me. And so he pushed and pushed and pushed to the absolute limit. And we got to choreograph the scene together. We got to tell the story together. We got to select the shots together. And it just became this incredible experience with him and his team. And then we, I mean, sometimes, I mean, if you compare that fight to the Mission Impossible Fallout fight in the bathroom, we spent, I think, a total of four weeks shooting the Fallout fight. Um, four weeks. And we had to keep on coming back to it because there were some reshoots and everything. But we shot the whole Blaviken fight in episode one 
I believe in two days because we were just running out of time. And one of those, I think the third day, which we tried to shoot, it was, if there was a third day, I think there was, um, it was a downpour and our set was washing away. And so we literally couldn't shoot on it. And, um, and we just had to sit there and hope that this apocalyptic rain was going to stop, which had been going for uh, like months at this stage. It was the most uncanny, unseasonal weather that we were having. And anyway, anyway, so got to the fight, we did it. And uh, in that fight in particular, I was working with Lucy Cork. She's an absolutely exceptional stunt performer. And injuries happen. We had cuts all over our hands afterwards uh, because you do catch each other. Um, it's when you're moving that fast. Even the, the trick is with a lot of these things, I mean, in a perfect world, you never touch skin. Uh, but with all the rehearsals and everything, you end up making contact with each other. But the real trick is pulling that contact before it does any real damage. So before you break a finger, before you break an arm, it's it, you realize a mistake has happened and you're pulling the hit. Or someone you, you slow it down enough so someone can duck out of the way and shout, cut! Um, but yeah, that's, and otherwise, with all the other stunts, with the wire rigs, some, you know, some bruises here and there, some aches and pains, um, you know, a couple of bashes, but, but nothing, nothing fatal. Do you, I mean, when was the last time you had a project where you just didn't have to be in shape? And like, you'd be like, you know what? I just don't have to work out. I just, I'm sure you love working out, but I'm sure there's also like, can I just go to sleep after we film instead of going to work out? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I've often thought this and I, I've, I've, it's, it's a, I don't really know what I want. Mm -hmm. I, yes, being exhausted and not getting enough sleep for that length of period of time and having to change your body while doing or an already tiring job is very, very, very difficult. But I also like that there's that element to it. Um, it really does get me into the gym and it pushes me. And one of the silver linings of this, this terrible pandemic that's going on is that I've had time. And so after the initial, I'm going to start drinking from noon thing and eating whatever I can lay my hands on, um, I started getting myself back into shape and I'm going to try and make sure that I'm in a certain place before we restart shooting. So the pressure's off to change my body and it's more about maintenance and doing shifts and, and nudges here. It's more like a sculpting thing rather than anything else. And that will alleviate some pressure and that will definitely help. But I, to answer your question, I kind of love it. I like it being that hard. But I, I, it's also exhausting. At the end of a shoot, uh, you're, I mean, you're completely physically exhausted and mentally exhausted. And so, but it's nice to do that. It's nice to work that hard for something, especially if you love it as much as I, as I love The Witcher IP. So um, season two production is going to startups soon, it sounds like? or um, I mean, we, we, everyone hopes so, but... We just don't know. We're just going to wait and see. Um, things are on track because there's there's no spike in cases in the UK, and so uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll be back on track and we'll be getting going soon-ish. I don't know any official dates, and I I dare not say it, but yes, hopefully. When will you feel safe to go back? I mean, everyone has their different levels of being comfortable. Obviously, we're just talking about the fight scenes, the the, the contact. There's no social distancing there. 
um, when will you feel comfortable going back to set and saying, you know what, we could do this? I mean, I've hung out the side of helicopters and been chased by Tom Cruise, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm pretty comfortable with it. Uh, it's, but it's very important that everyone is comfortable. I know they're working very hard to make sure that the right measures are in place. Uh, so bad things don't happen. It's it's a very serious virus, and and precautions do have to be taken. Uh, at the moment, I mean, I, I feel totally comfortable, and and we'll see. I mean, if someone comes onto set, and if Anya comes onto set, like coughing and sneezing and spluttering, and just like I've got to do a kissing scene, I may be like, ah, maybe I'm not comfortable, but <laughs> but we'll have to see. Now I know you've said you have not seen the Snyder Cut. But are you yes. surprised one is coming? Um, I, I don't know if I'm surprised. It's, I mean, with everything that's, that's happened this year with the lockdown and, and cinemas having to close and streaming services now being how we are getting our entertainment, it's not really a surprise. Uh, I think it's one of those things where it's, it's an opportunity. And I think it's great that Zach has an opportunity to finally release his vision. And I think that's really important for a, a storyteller and a filmmaker. It's it's when, when that doesn't happen. It's always it's always a sad occasion. And now Zach has the opportunity, and I'm excited to watch it. Have you said to him like, "I really want this scene in there. I want that scene." <laughs> <laughs> um, I I mean, by the sounds of it, it, I I I think there'll be plenty of scenes in there. <laughs> And will you go back to playing Superman again? I know like every day there, I Googled just literally right before we talked because I needed the latest rumor. It is just rumor after rumor after rumor. What's the wildest one you've heard about you and Superman? Oh, I mean, I, I, they get wilder and wilder by the day. The amount of speculation, the stuff I read on there on the internet is, is extraordinary and, and sometimes frustrating. It's when you see people stating stuff as fact. And you're like, no, that, that's not the case. That hasn't happened. And that conversation isn't happening. And, but the important thing is that people are excited about it. And I think it's important to be excited about a character like Superman. Superman's a fantastic character. And if people are chatting about it, and even if they're making stuff up, it's okay. Because that means they want to see the character again. And in an ideal world, I would, I would absolutely love to play the character again. Do you ever go into like one of these conversations or comments, use an alias and be like, <laughs> that's not I've, I've been, I've been very tempted. I'm not <laughs> going to lie. I've been very tempted, but there, there, there's something about that that feels deeply immoral. <laughs> and when, when it's about Superman and if I'm representing Superman, it just feels like the wrong thing to do. I'm <laughs> like, I'm just going to let this all play out. Me saying something is going to make a difference. And what does it really matter? One day, one day people know the truth. And even if they don't know it now, then it's okay. Awesome. Sarah, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Henry Cavill. We're taking a short break, but when we come back, I'm chatting with the very funny glow star, Betty Gilpin. It's safe to say 2020 was one of the most difficult years ever for so many. And these remain very challenging times. That's why I'm here to ask you, how can I help? My name is Dr. Gail Saltz, host of the new weekly podcast, How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz, brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, 
a psychoanalyst, best-selling author, and I'm here to help. Join me every Friday where you can ask your most pressing questions and get helpful guidance on topics ranging from coping with anxiety and mood, relationships, to family and parenting issues, to workplace dynamics, to dealing with COVID fatigue, and everything in between. While it has been a tough time, you don't have to navigate it alone. So, how can I help? You can send your questions anonymously to me at howcanihelp at SenecaWomen.com and I will answer with specific advice and understanding. Listen to How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. We've seen a lot of Betty Gilpin lately, and I am definitely not complaining. It is a very good thing. There's her starring role on Netflix Glow, and then we saw her on the big screen in The Hunt and Coffee and Kareem. And whenever we get out of this pandemic, she'll be playing Ann Coulter in the next season of Ryan Murphy's American Crime Story about the Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky sex scandal. Here's Betty Gilpin. Hi, Betty. Hi, Mark. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Having you in my life is so nice because I always love talking to you, but oh. also having Mark Malkin and Mark Marin both in my yes. life. <laughs> The letter section of my brain is uh, <laughs> sobbing. How are you? How are you coping? How are you dealing? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, like the rest of us, just sort of, I would say I'm Eeyore in the mornings and Tigger by lunch. I'm like <laughs> very low when we get up and then by, by sandwich time, I'm like, you know, this is what we need. This, this is the reset we need it. Um, I know. I, I do the same thing. It's like one minute I'm like, oh, I'm okay. And then the next minute I'm like, no. And yesterday my husband and I went to go see the poppies out in Antelope Valley. You need to do that. It's beautiful. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's yeah. so weird. It's like you're just right. driving and all of a sudden it's like the hills are alive with orange. Right, right. But yes. we go and I'm like, let's stop on the way home for lunch. Oh, can't do that. Right. <laughs> it kind yeah. of ruins that day trip momentum. Yes, totally. I know. But it, you know, I feel like we're all at the point of the script where we're ready for the part where Scrooge throws open the window and sends a goose to Bob Brackett. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for act three. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, what week are we on? What day are we on? Yeah. Have you been bin, binge watching anything? What have you watched? Well, I just watched all of Plot Against America. Um, on HBO. Uplifting. (laughs) So uplifting. But, you know, Zoe Kazan is one of my best, best friends. And there's always this pressure when you watch one of your friends because, you know, it's like the whole time, maybe it's growing up in the theater, the whole time you're sort of panicking, like, what am I going to say? Okay, the compliment has to be good. It can't be hyperbolic. It's got to be specific. And sometimes just it's just handed to you. And her performance is so, it's such a masterclass to the point where it's one of those female performances where you feel angrily jealous. And then it's so good that it just surpasses jealousy. And then you're like, I could never do this is the most incredible thing. She's incredible. Um, and yeah, it's not the most uplifting, but it is for some reason. Um, 
watching things that take place in a different time period are, are, don't bum me out right now. For some reason, sometimes, you know, I watched the other guys the other day with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg and the group scenes in New York. I was like, this is too sad. But then plot against America, the most depressing thing ever. I was like, this is wonderful. (laughs) Um, and I've been listening to that podcast. You must remember this. Do you ever mm-hmm. listen to no, that? No, I don't know it. It's about old Hollywood. Um, and every episode is like Joan Crawford or Betty Davis, or um, I've been listening to the Carol Lombard ones. And it's just so, you know, I needed to brush up on my old Hollywood ladies history anyway. Highly recommend for quarantine listening. Who's your, who's your favorite old lady Hollywood? God, there are so many. I, I, You know, it's very interesting seeing the actresses who are wanting to break out of the sort of style that they're being asked to do of, you know, the men get to be sort of like snarfing and three-dimensional and real and the women have to sort of be just these floating bubbles of time and these sexy ghosts. But they're like Barbara Stanwyck and um, Patricia Neal. There are all these women who are like, yeah, I'm going to be strange and real in this scene i'm not gonna be some sort of sexy montage dream and uh and joan crawford and betty davis of course it's like they just were light years ahead of their time and doing something that nobody taught them to do it's just very inspiring i know i always forget that um betty davis was the president of the academy I did not know that. Whoa. I, I knew it. Like I will know it every once in a while because it'll pop up. And I was just working on a story um, about the Oscars during coronavirus and campaigning. And right. during World War II, Betty Davis was the Academy president. And she told they canceled the Academy Awards in 1943 or something. Right. And she was the president. And she said, no, we can't cancel it. Why don't we make it a fundraiser for the Red Cross? genius they didn't do it okay (laughs) (laughs) you'd think right that was my response but they decide okay we'll have the academy awards but it's not black tie and there's no dancing after the ceremony oh so it's not like a celebration i see (laughs) got it got it they they were afraid tonally it wouldn't be right right but not a fundraiser (laughs) across so let's talk about your year you were so busy Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I know. Now going from that to being in quarantine, I feel like a coke addict who's been dropped off at a monastery. I've been working 16-hour days for like 3 years and now I'm like, "What? Relax. Learn to meditate. I can't do that." <laughs> but talk about also like just your range, the hunt, coffee and cream, Stuber, <laughs> which I loved Stuber. I don't care what oh, anybody says. It was it was I had fun. I laughed. <laughs> The scene that you have one of the best scenes because he's on the phone with you and the dude in the background with the huge schlong walks by. (laughs) Yeah. Um, um, Mike Dow's directed both Stuber and Coffee and Cream. And um, we had a really good rapport and he really let me, that was the first time that, uh, you know, it's funny. I feel like I'm at a place in my, 
career in life where maybe everyone feels this way when they turn 33, when you're like, oh, I'm, I'm actually too tired to be as neurotic as I was. And that has sort of opened doors for me creatively where mm-hmm. I used to be so scared of, um, I would come to set with ideas and be like, well, well, you know, if they give me a fifth take, maybe I'll try that idea, but I don't want to make anyone mad. And now I'm like, I'm trying it on the first take, you know, no one's going to die. And I see people with, you know, sometimes worse ideas than me, try it on the first take and it makes it in the movie. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, and, uh, I've really learned that that's actually, people want you to do that. And it makes a better product when you're not apologizing for breathing and existing. <laughs> so I don't know. I have to ask this, like, do you like doing sort of the slapsticky coffee and cream, but then the hunt? Yeah. I mean, that's just on another level. Yeah. I mean, I love both of those so, I mean, I would say those are my two sides or everyone mm. has a million sides, but I, um, you know, growing up, my parents were both actors and mainly theater actors. And my mom was very like slapstick restoration comedy, like mooned us every day on our way to school. Like we, we, my dad would drive us around the corner and my mom would be on the porch pants down, like without fail. Um, and my dad was very much like gravitas, serious, like you've seen him a million times playing like the stern lawyer on law and order. Um, and so I sort of have those two sides to me. Um, so I love, uh, kind of feeding both. Um, I would say my character in the hunt, I definitely thought, um, throughout my career that that kind of sort of weirder inner kind of simmering person would be more reserved for my theater work. Um, just cause on screen I've normally played more like goblety, I said orchids people who wear teal eyeshadow. Um, but in the hunt, it's strangely, it's uh, closer to who I am, which is maybe disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wanna talk about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the characters that I feel more connected to, I'd say. But then you have glow, which is just, yes. Teal eyeshadow. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, teal eyeshadow unplugged. But this season, it ends with her like Debbie's going to become this completely different powerhouse. Yeah, and president totally. of a television station. Yeah, yeah. I really loved this season. How, and I've certainly felt like this, where I feel like Debbie is at this fork in the road where she says, okay, I could go one of two ways in my life. I could listen to the louder voices in society and in my own head telling me, you know, just marry this rich guy and have it easier life or, or take the safer, clearer route. Um, or there's this other way that you could go that's murkier and cloudier, but I think there might be magnificence on the other end, but it's riskier and scarier and betting on yourself. Is it worth falling on your face? Um, And I think throughout the season, you sort of see her grappling with those, with that choice. And, you know, in Vegas, similar to like when you're doing a play, you can kind of treat your life like it's this bubble of time that doesn't, it is unto itself and doesn't exist Like you can sort of rehearse a braver version of yourself and then be like, okay, and when this is over, you know, I'm going to marry the rich rancher and get back to, (laughs) that's what Debbie's going through. 
Um, and I think we sort of see her realize, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be, um, you know, a person who gives up on herself and takes the mm. easy way out. I'm not afraid of making enemies in the name of phoenixing out of mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know, do well, did you always know where Debbie would end up? And that obviously takes me to the next question of the last season. Do you know what's going to happen? Um, I know generally what's going to happen. Um, we were about an episode and a half into filming when we got shut down. Um, and where I'm staying has a view of our studio. So I just kind of wave to it every once in a while. All our weird costumes waiting for us, collecting <laughs> dust. Um, but yeah, I hope that, you know, I always say I, as a friend of Debbie, I hope that she finds peace. And as the actress playing Debbie, I hope she continues to be unstable and insane. Cause that's a fun work day for me, which is something I need to look inward about. Um, but you know, I think that we're going to see her continue to roll the dice on herself and see the uh, triumphs and failures that uh, that means when you're a woman, roll, like believing in yourself in the workplace in 1987 now, I think we're yeah. in. Um, because, you know, that has risks today in 2020. And uh, I think something that our showrunners do really well is they're very open and honest about that time period that, you know, it wasn't, um, you're froze. woman makes each and everyone claps. It's, it's sadder wow. than that. <laughs> what about Ruth? Is Ruth coming back? I mean, I'm sure I'll be tased by Ray through the computer. <laughs> if I say anything about what's going to happen, but I mean, we're not making a season of glow without Alice and Brie. Hell no. <laughs> um, whether her I, season that, means that Ruth is, you know, opening a general store in Antarctica, I can't say. <laughs> but that, that last scene is so good. Cause I uh, just love how she just looks at you and is like, no, what you want is not what I want. And yeah, for a second yeah. you're like, are you crazy? And then you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Right. And she's doing exactly what you're doing. She's standing up yeah. for herself. Yeah. And that has to be okay that she has different ideas. Debbie just can't accept that right now. <laughs> but, you know, I think it also shines a light on that Ruth and Debbie have been kind of treating their friendship like a, like a little affair, you know, mm. since they're away from their lives and they're doing this same show every night. It's this sort of alternate reality where, you know, they feel very lonely and misunderstood a lot in their outside lives, but they know each other better than anyone around them. Um, and it makes mm. for, you know, it's, it means that they can kind of have this little affair where they just won't acknowledge the past and won't acknowledge the future and just kind of uh, go to each other when they need each other. But then, you know, it's like the spell has to break. The real world has to come back in. So let's talk about two oh. characters come out of the closet. Yes, I know. Bash finally comes out of the closet. <laughs> um, I love that scene so much. And I just think nobody could play that part but Chris Lowell. I, I think the 
the crazy vaudevillian heights that he goes to and then in the next scene or line grounds it so devastatingly i i just think his performance is unbelievable um and i cannot keep it together with him we make each other laugh so hard um but i think that scene is so devastating uh when i'm in the rosemary clooney <laughs> dress it's like Chris. I'm so sorry that I'm in this costume when you have this, this scene. Just don't look at me. <laughs> I mean, when he when he puts his head in your lap and says, "I don't want to die." Yeah, it yeah. reminds you it's 1987. Yes, or 86 yeah. at that point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so wild. I'm very interested to see what they do with that storyline in season four. Um, what did and, you think of What did you think about the scene, the three way scene? I was like, whoa scalding hot yes. and it's like the only i i was watching it i was like oh my god this isn't the end of the episode what do we follow this with gina davis in a showgirls costume right that's the only thing that could follow a threesome scene is gina davis in a full showgirls costume i mean yeah. that and during that episode is when i started filming the hunt i went and filmed a week of the hunt and then came back for episode nine and ten and then went back to the hunt um, so I definitely felt very split personality. Um, but I remember getting off a plane and going to set and then seeing Gina Davis in that costume. Like, what is this alternate reality that I've entered? I'm hallucinating. What was it like seeing her for the first time when she walks out in that? I mean, we were, you know, it was a room full of glow girls and drag queens and the, the entire room it was like a group faint we just like all those reactions in the episode are all real just all of us you know no acting involved just a gog she's a goddess she is a goddess um but yeah that i, I love that episode <laughs> when arthi comes out she puts that rainbow flag yes headband on and she's ready to storm the barricade where then Bash is saying he wants to get married. You know, he wants to stay married and have children. It was right. so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they they do a really good job, the writers, of, you know, kind of telling honest stories about what, you know, these polar places that your brain can go. I think that a, a lot of times in especially now that we're in like the Salem witch trials of being woke, we often, I think, overcorrect in erasing history mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the history of homophobia and the history of racism and misogyny and, you know, make outwardly evil characters mwahaha and uh, homophobic or racist or misogynist and then everyone else is good where like that's not the case it was right. you know in the 80s and now it's in the groundwater um and peppered throughout characters that you might otherwise love or trust and then they something comes out of their mouth where you're like what you just said that um which i think is a way more authentic grayer story to tell um that i think the writers do really beautifully and you know i think it's particularly um, heartbreaking in Bash's internalized homophobia in the writing. It's very sad. And I hope, I hope that the show ends with him in a rainbow headband as well. <laughs> or, <laughs> just, or just bigger hair. Yeah. Yeah. If that's possible. <laughs> Is that his real hair? Yes. And he like, they roll it. It's so crazy. 
Chris loves it. <laughs> um, and now I have to ask you about Ann Coulter. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> what have you done? What have you been doing? I mean, you're supposed to be shooting soon. Well, I mean, we're yeah, right. we're shooting right now. Right. Who knows when that'll happen? Um, so how are you? How do you prepare to play Ann Coulter? Well, I am getting you know to make the audition tape. I watched a bunch of her interviews and listened to her audiobooks um and uh you know her voice is so specific um that uh so i i'm i'm trying to get it down um but you know let's say this quarantine goes on for a long time like i can't intake all that this whole quarantine so you let me know when we're getting back to work and i'll get back into that but i i can't spend a year doing that i'll go crazy um do you do you like Ann Coulter? Do you have to find something to like to play her? Uh, I think that um, an authentic portrayal is what I'm going for. I don't want to comment on her. I just want to present her as she is. Mm. Um, so that's what I'll say about that. <laughs> you have what you have to watch is have you ever watched the Rob Lowe roast on Comedy Central? Yes, yes. Wild. <laughs> I was there. I was at that roast and it was like, oh my God. What was she doing there? <laughs> yeah. Tell me, can you tell me about reading on tape for Ann Coulter? What did you have to do? Um, it was a couple scenes. Uh Gosh, I haven't really taught. I, I I never know what is secret in that camp and what's not. But I I have this new thing that when I make or the past couple of years, I've realized that my kryptonite in making tapes is that I get self conscious about the person reading with me, like a friend or my husband. And after two takes, I'm like, we can be done. We can be done. Uh, but now I record my own voice doing the other lines. And like do the scene with myself over and over and over again so that I can spend however long on it um, and tape my phone to the window to have the sunlight blow out all the years of hard living. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the only ways I've been booking off to, I did that for the hunt. I did that for glow. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee and cream, Stuber. <laughs> <laughs> Any job I've booked, it's me reading with my own recorded voice alone in a room being a crazy person. Betty, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. It was good seeing you. Hopefully I'll see you in person. Definitely. Take care. Bye. Bye. And that's it for today's episode of The Big Ticket. Coming up next week, a very big week. My guest list includes Charlize Theron, Matt Bomer, Uzo Duba, Evan Rachel Wood, and many more. Until then, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your up-to-the-minute Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Stay safe, be well, and don't forget to wear a mask. See you next week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.